the Lord has, uh, this week, the Lord has really stirred me and given me a specific message um, for this church, I believe. Uh, sometimes the Lord gives you a general message that can apply to most all Christians. This one's very specific uh, to Freedom Point and, and those friends of ours who may be watching. Um, as we celebrate our seventh anniversary, I believe God has a word to speak to us today. So if you'll stand with me all over the room, I'm going to be reading uh, 15 verses out of the book of Joshua chapter 24. And then we're going to pray and I'll let you be seated. Joshua chapter 4 verses 1 through 15. If you're watching at home, they'll, they'll put it on the screen for you. The word said, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. And afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea upon them, and he covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. And he sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered all of them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Joshua said, but as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to preach to you today for a few moments a message that I know the Lord has given me that I've titled, Count Me In. If you will, I'm going to ask you if you'll stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me for just a moment. Father, thank you for your word. 
I ask that you would decrease me and move me out of the way, Lord, that your word would come forth today. Not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. I ask you to anoint every ear, Lord, that is listening to hear. And every heart to receive the word of the Lord to Freedom Point Church on this day, July the 12th, 2020. God, let us hear your word and heed your word so that we'll receive the blessings and the benefits that come from doing that. In Jesus' name we pray. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Today, thank you Nicholas, we celebrate our 7th anniversary as a church. Now I want to ask today if you were with us uh, on that first Sunday morning in the Corbin Civic Center in 2013. I did this in the 845 service, I want to do it now. If you were with us in that very first service, would you stand all over the house for me this morning? Look at this. Praise the Lord. But now here's, but stay standing. Here's what I want you to notice. Look around and look at what God has added to His church in the last seven years and then give the Lord some praise. Would you do that? Thank you. You may be seated. Today we celebrate our seventh anniversary as a church. We thank God for what He has done in and through this church. Lives have been changed, people have been touched. The gospel has been preached, and Jesus Christ has been lifted up. In seven years, the church that started with 42 people who assembled at the Hampton Inn meeting room has been blessed in seven years to see 103 people give their hearts to Jesus Christ. We've been blessed to see 84 rededicate their life to Christ, 76 people Follow the Lord in water baptism in this church. And 48 people have been baptized with the Holy Spirit in this church. Somebody say praise the Lord. But the place that we are in morally and ethically as a society has also shifted dramatically in those last seven years. We came together initially as a church to see people set free by the power of God. Thus the name Freedom Point Church. We desire to see people set free by the power of God, free to love, free to serve, and free to worship. And it's our goal, it was our goal then, and it's our goal now to be a beacon of God's light in a world that is growing increasingly darker without even realizing it. Since we began seven years ago, we have seen same-sex marriages legalized. And evolve into what most now consider normalcy. We have seen Planned Parenthood funded and rapidly escalate to the point that it now receives over 500 million taxpayer dollars per year to support the medical cost involved in murdering unborn and now partially born children. And most recently, we have seen racism displayed against men and women in cruel, evil, and unhumanitarian treatment that costs them their very lives. But we have also seen looting, rioting, and the destruction of property that belong to the innocent and utmost disrespect for our law enforcement. The very men and women who put their lives in harm's way every single day to protect you and I. And all of those acts take place under the name of a movement 
that sounds good on the surface. But it is deceiving the next generation. By, I said it's deceiving the next generation. By supporting and funding everything that I've just mentioned that's taken place in the last seven years. Don't take my word for it. Research it for yourself. This world is growing increasingly darker by the day without even realizing it. Think about how rapidly these things have escalated in the last seven years. Why have they escalated so quickly, you may ask? The answer to that question is because there are people out there who are passionately committed to doing whatever it takes to change our world as we know it. Multiplied millions have joined the pursuit of passion to change the mindsets of people, to change the mindsets of our children. Hear me, parents. To redefine for the next generation what is wrong and what is right. And they are committed to changing this world one generation at a time. I know that we all hold various views on these three changes in our society. The goal is not to make others think exactly as we do. But whatever your position may be on any of those issues, be faithful to bringing Jesus Christ and His teachings into that setting. I said be faithful in whatever your stance is, in making sure that you can bring Jesus Christ and His teachings into that setting. Don't bring just a little bit of Jesus. Bring all of the Word of God. Say amen, somebody. There are too many pulpits today that are bringing just a little bit of Jesus. Just enough Jesus to make you feel good. Just enough Jesus to make you feel like you're saved. Hello. Just enough Jesus to make you still feel comfortable not having it all. Hello. Just enough Jesus. Don't be guilty of bringing a little Jesus, but bring all of the Word of God. Because listen, you have been placed in this world to impact and make an impact for Jesus Christ. That is your purpose. I preach this to my kids all the time. That's your purpose, to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Abby aspires to be a nurse, and she's in nursing school doing well right now. And then she wants to go on and be a nurse practitioner. And I pray that she achieves that goal. But I also pray that she never forgets the primary reason that God has placed her on this earth is to make an impact for Jesus Christ. So when she has a patient in front of her that desperately has needs in their life, she administers more to them than just medicine made by men. But she ministers to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, somebody. Jordan's doing excellent in electrician school. He's going to be an electrician. I have a construction project going right now. I can promise you electricians make good money. I did a lot of bids, and the one that I'm paying is still making really good money and I hope he's a successful electrician but I also praise that he never forgets that his purpose that God placed him in this world is to make an impact for Jesus Christ 
He will come into contact with men on the construction scene, just like Christian Rutland does every day of his job, his life, just like uh, Chris Fusen comes into contact with athletes every day in his job. We need to never forget, no matter how successful we become, no matter how successful the church is, we've got a lot to celebrate. We're doing wonderful. But no matter how successful we are, we need to never forget that our primary purpose is to make an impact, an eternal impact on our city, on our community, on a world around us as we know it for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose. And I wonder what our world would look like today if Christians were as passionate and as committed to changing the world as the world is. Think about that. What would our world look like today if the church was as committed and as passionate about changing the world as the world is committed and passionate about changing the church? Let's just tell the truth about it. Or silencing the church. What would happen? I want to make a few points this morning. The first one being, we become whatever we're committed to. Your life is actually shaped by your commitments. We become whatever we're committed to. If someone looked closely at you, what would they say that you and your life are fully committed to? We celebrate as a church because we were committed to becoming a thriving life-giving church to our community. And I remember there were people that said, that said to me, I give it six months before you close the doors. But glory be to God, seven years and over a hundred souls later, she's going stronger than she's ever gone before. Praise the Lord. Why? Because of me? No. Because there were some people who were committed to becoming a life giving, thriving church in this community. Because listen to me, young people and older people alike. If you don't commit yourself to something, you won't become anything in this life. That's a whole other message I could preach, but I won't today because it's not in my notes. But let me say it again. If you don't commit yourself to something, you won't become anything in this life. You are shaped by your commitments. Great people are just ordinary people who've made a great commitment to a cause greater than themselves. People become great men or great women of God when they commit themselves to the cause and the purpose and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our text today, Joshua became a great leader because when everybody else around him was saying, it can't be done, we can't have what God told us to have, Joshua was committed to believing God. We become whatever we're committed to. The problem is that a lot of people are afraid of making commitments. And we also see that in our society today. We have a lot of people who don't want to commit to anything. They'll cancel on you on a moment's notice. I had a man not show up for work on a job that I've got going the other day just don't even notify me. People will cancel on you on a moment's notice, not committed to anything. But in our Old Testament reading today, Joshua basically was saying, you guys may commit yourself to a lot of other things. But as for me, 
and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I wish we had some people that would raise up and take control of themselves and their house and stop worrying about everybody else. Because when you, when you make the decision for you and your house to serve the Lord, you'll make an impact on somebody else then. Well, uh, we talk about, when we talk about having a relationship with Jesus, we're not talking about having somebody to call on just when we get in trouble or when we want something or need something. See, daring faith in Christ means, yes, Jesus, you ask it, I give it. You send me, I'll go. You need me, I'm here. Count me in. See, if there's anything good about the coming persecution of the church, and you mark your pastor's words this morning, it's coming. If there's anything good about the coming persecution of the church in, in this country or coming persecution of believers in this country is that it's going to empty out churches and we'll know who's really committed to Christ and who just goes to church because there's a difference. I said there's a difference. Faith is always going to involve a commitment to God. Yet many take on a false humility in making a commitment to the Lord or to the church. A lot of people say, I'm not going to say what I'll do or what I'll give or where I'll serve because I don't know what the future holds. But I want to tell you something. You cannot live a life without making some commitments. You cannot live this life without making some commitments. We sold our house. We're getting ready to buy another house. You cannot buy a house without making a commitment. You cannot buy a car without making a commitment. You can't hold down a job without making a commitment. And you can't get married, or you shouldn't, without making a commitment. I don't understand the society we find ourselves living in today. I'm just going to preach here for just a moment. Some people change spouses like they change shoes. And it ain't no big deal to them. I don't know about you, but if you're not married, here's my advice to you. Make sure and certain that they're committed and that they cannot live their life without you before you throw yourself into that. Make sure they're committed and make sure you're committed. Make a commitment and you'll see it work. Secondly, I want to talk about being committed to Christ. As we look into the future, and we ask ourselves the question, what kind of church is God calling us to be? And what kind of commitments do we intend to make? Romans 6 and 1, and I didn't give this to them to the screen, but in the Living Bible it says, I love this translation, it says it this way. Give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. For you have been brought back to life, and you want to be tools in the hands of God, used for His good purposes. See, that's the highest commitment you can make in this life. To give yourself completely to God. To be used for the purposes that God made you, that God created you for. And our vision for Freedom Point Church is to be a church that is known for seeing people set free by the power of God. But in order to fulfill that, we must be a church demonstrating 
unconditional love. Generosity and the power of Pentecost. Do you know why people became so angry with Jesus? Jesus was called a friend of sinners. How do you think he got that name? Can you imagine people saying, Freedom Point Church, oh, oh yeah, that's the church that's a friend of sinners. Can you imagine people saying that? Because I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm over the holiness police. I'm way over them. I'm tired of hearing people say, oh, and I'm not talking about they're saying that about this church. I'm just saying about any church in general. Oh, have you seen the way that some of them dress? Oh, have you seen that they're tatted up and, and they've got piercings everywhere all over their body? Have you seen that they've got uh, green hair and they look like the devil or whatever color hair the devil's got? Have you seen that they those people just look crazy over there? I'm over that stuff. I said I'm over that stuff. Because if we're going to be a church that changes the community, that changes our city, we've got to accept them as they are and then trust God to make them into what He's called them to be. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Because it doesn't matter who you are. I said it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. But what matters is that a, the church, a real church, will accept you and try to help you get your life on track with God. They will not demand that you get your act together first. Oh, I know. Some people say, oh, now if they really got saved, when they, when they got up, when they come back in next Sunday now, bless God, they'll look different, they'll dress different, they'll, they'll cover up them tattoos, or their, and, and they'll not wear them all that jewelry and those piercings and all that stuff. People get, we are so full of garbage, we don't even know what the Bible says. That's the truth, even if it did make somebody mad. We're so full of garbage, we don't even know what the Bible says. By the way, wearing earrings ain't no different than wearing a tattoo. It's in the same passage of Scripture. Oh, it's getting quiet now. Done riled up the holiness devils. I'm just kidding. I don't think none of y'all are devils. I just know it gets quiet. People get uncomfortable. It's the truth. We need to learn what the Scripture says. And we need to learn to love people and accept them as they are and trust God to change them into who He's called them to be. Because I've seen Him do it. I said, I've seen Him do it. And I watched some of them worship here this morning that He's done it in and through. God can do it. I want to tell you something else. I know she's not here this morning. But I've said this a thousand times before and I'll say it again. Salvation is instantaneous. But sanctification is a process. Let that sink in. Salvation is instantaneous, but sanctification is a process. Stephanie uh, Sturgill, Stephanie Goodlett now, she was Sturgill when she came here. Several years ago, walked into this church and got saved. I think it might have even been on a Wednesday night service. But nobody knows, nor was it really any of anybody's business, that Stephanie was a severe alcoholic when she got saved and came to this church. Nobody knows how many times, how many nights that my wife talked with her on the phone the first 12 months or so of, of, of her conversion experience because she fell off the bandwagon and she went out with friends and got drunk or she was depressed at home and, and got drunk. Nobody knows how many and nobody needed to know how many times that Angie talked with her and 
encouraged her and said, listen, you pray and you ask God to forgive you. You ask God to take that from you, and I'll see you at church tomorrow night, or I'll see you at church Sunday morning. You have no idea, but I want to tell you something. When you pray, and when you ask God, and when you stay faithful, I'll never forget, about 18 months after she came to this church, we were at a Christmas banquet down at the Technology Center when she walked up to my wife, and she wrapped her arms around her, and she hugged her, and I heard her whisper, I just wanted you to know, I've not touched a drop in six months. That's been years ago now, and God set her free. She didn't go through rehab. She didn't have to be on medication. She called on God, and she stayed faithful, and we prayed as God sanctified her. Where's that church that will love people even when they fall? That will encourage people even when they make mistakes? That's what God is looking for. You know what that's called? That's called grace. It's called grace. Is there anybody here this morning who used to do something that bothered you? It didn't bother you until one day the Holy Spirit touched you and said, I want you to let go of that. I don't want you to do that anymore. You need to change that attitude. You need to love. You need to start to love that person. Oh, I've seen it. Church people can be some of the meanest people on earth. Let's just tell it like it is today. Seven years in, let it all hang out. Hallelujah. Church people can be some of the cruelest people that you've ever known in your life. But at the end of the day, we're all just human. We all make mistakes. And I want to tell you something. You need to let God work on you and then let God work on them. Hello, somebody. You, we need to learn to love unconditionally. See, when, when God brings things like that to your mind and you recognize I need to change that attitude, that wasn't very good. God's just extending grace to us. That even before our, even though our actions were grieving the Holy Spirit, God knew that He has to bring us to the point where it begins to grieve our hearts before we'll make a change. And sometimes we have to extend grace to others when we see weakness in their lives. We have to come alongside them and try to encourage them. Do you know why the Bible tells us to love one another? Because left to ourselves, a lot of us wouldn't do it. That's the truth. It's easier to write people off than it is to love them. Let's just be honest. Can you imagine how painful, though, it was for Jesus to hear Peter proclaim how he would love Jesus and he would have Jesus back no matter what? Only for Jesus to say, before that rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But I love what Jesus went on to say. He said, but when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Huh. When you turn. See, Jesus had already made up his mind to forgive Peter even before Peter committed the act. That's called grace. But Jesus said, when you turn. See, there's another problem therein in our society that we want to ask forgiveness, but we don't want to repent. Repent means to turn. Does that mean you won't fall and make the same mistake again? Absolutely not. But it means every time you do, you say, God, I need you to help me that I don't ever do this again. And you make a commitment to yourself and a commitment to God to get up and do differently the next time. Amen? That's grace. We'd also love to see the Holy Spirit fall in this place and people that aren't filled with the Spirit start speaking in tongues just like what happened on the day of Pentecost. I'd love that more than anything. More than anything. But 
We'd also love it even more if we could simply extend more grace to each other on a weekly basis. What would happen if we extended a little more grace to each other in our homes? Our homes would stay together. Divorce wouldn't always be the immediate answer. I'm not kidding you. I've never seen that. Now, divorce happens. Don't get me wrong. People get broken and they need to be restored. Divorce happens. But I've never seen a time in my life where somebody just gets mad over an argument and says, that's it, I'm done. Stubbornness. Stubborn. Rebellious. Uncompromising. What would happen if we gave a little more grace to each other in our homes? Our homes would stay together. And Jesus would become more of a reality in our lives. See, Christianity never begins with what others are doing to me. It begins with me allowing Jesus to live in me today. That's not always an easy thing to do. Jesus has a lot of grace, and he wants to flow through us and out to others. See, it's one thing for us to have the truth of the Word of God, but it's another thing to have grace with truth. It was said of Jesus in John 1 and 14 that he was full of truth and grace. And that's the desire of our hearts, is to be known uh, as a church of love and of grace and of generosity. Generously giving not only of our treasure, we're not just talking about treasure, but of our time and our talent in His service. See, one of the things about Jesus was that He was rich in generosity. When He fed the 5,000, it does not say that everybody just got one fish and two pieces of bread. I fed Dwight and Darla before, and I'll tell you, that wouldn't cut it with Dwight. It says they all ate, listen to what it says, until they were satisfied. And there were still 12 basketfuls left over. See, when Jesus issues the invitation to come follow him, he doesn't promise us a slightly better life. He doesn't promise us a little bit of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us an abundant life. He wants to give us to be he wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was generous in his healings, his encouragement, his giving. He was also generous in his forgiveness and his promises. And see church, some of the little things that we do make a difference in how others perceive of us. When we're generous, God moves on the hearts of others. If you need a financial miracle in your life, I challenge you, start being generous and you'll get God's attention. In a matter of months, we will be fully integrated into a new facility. And we want to go into that building as a great church, spiritually and financially. And I promise you, we're going to need both to effectively do the work that God has given us to do in this city. I believe that God is about to reveal to us why He chose to reroute our plans for the new location. I'm telling you as your pastor, get ready. Get ready. We serve a God who's given us all that we need, but the question is, will we be generous enough to give back everything He asks of us? And I'm not just talking about finances, but when we looked at our finances at the beginning of this year, as a council and a staff, we agreed that we would come back and we would look at what we thought we could eliminate from our ministries and yet continue to be faithful in what God's called us to do so that we could get steps closer to a new facility that would accommodate everybody. But we also agreed to issue a 90-day challenge to all who would be willing to have their faith stretched. And here was that challenge for those who were not tithing to begin tithing for at least 90 days. 
And if at the end of that 90-day period you came back to me or our finance officer, Sister Karen, and you told us that you'd not been blessed or you didn't have enough money to pay your bills, we would write you a check for a full refund of every dollar you gave during that 90-day period. You want to know how many refunds we issued? Zero. None. Why? Because God doesn't lie. God's Word is true. And God will bless you when you do what He's told you to do in His Word. I've heard testimonies of how God has blessed and continues to bless you. And you may be sitting here saying, I haven't tried it yet. If you've not tried it yet, I challenge you. And as you make your commitment, tell God what you'd really like for Him to do to you during that, do for you in that 90-day period. Because I believe that we'll have more testimonies of what God did during that time. It's just between you and God. I'm not going to get in the business, and I don't look at, uh, at what anybody gives. I just look at the giving and what kind of budget we have to operate from. Not going to collect any pledge cards, but I'm challenging you to go ahead and do it and watch God prove His Word to you. Romans 1 and 12 in the NIV says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I love the way it says it in this translation. This is your spiritual act of worship. The third and final point I want to make today is this. Be thankful for the past while you're looking toward the future. I'm so grateful for what God has done in the past seven years. But as a church, we need to be focused on reaching as many people for Christ as possible. The church, not just this church, but the church is the hope for our community. It's not about what our personal preference is in worship styles, music styles, or dress codes. Hello, somebody. Everything just needs to be decent and in order. But what it is about is reaching a generation that, if you haven't noticed, is dying and going to hell. And I am determined to be like Paul. I am ready to be all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I want our church to be all things to all people that by all means we might save some. What does that mean? That means if we need to do something radical to help pregnant teenagers and young adults know that abortion is not the answer, then we'll do it. If we need to do something radical to help young men discover that God made them to be men and young women to discover that God created them to be women, then we'll do something radical. And if we need to do something radical to help people get past the color of skin, God help us, or the origin of ethnicity, to see that all of us were created in the image of God and we can all share in his love for each other if we need to do something radical then by all means let's do whatever it takes to be a place where they feel comfortable coming so that we can see them set free by the power of God our message of who Jesus is and what Jesus does and how the Holy Spirit works is still going to be the same but our methods might be different Listen, it's been a great seven years, but tomorrow is a new day. I said tomorrow is a new day. As I pondered on seven years as Freedom Point Church this past week, I couldn't help but reminisce that very first service with a donated sound system, a collection of personally owned instruments, and a brochure or bulletin, if you want to call it that, that was literally thrown together overnight at Sister Karen's house. And we're packing and moving, and I found that brochure bulletin this week. 
And it just reminded me, I thought, how timely to find that. But with a donated sound system and a collection of personally owned instruments and a bulletin that was thrown together and printed at her house overnight and a message from the Word of God that was inspired by the Holy Ghost burning within me, I remember getting up very early that morning on year one, day one, to seek God. And I made God a promise that morning that if there were 15 or 50, if He would help me, I would preach like there were 500 in the room. And my, oh my, how He's helped me. My, oh my, how He has helped us. How He has blessed this church. And listen to me, these last years, these last seven years, are something to celebrate. And I thank God for them. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as they come to the music today. But tomorrow is year eight, day one. And as I pondered about year eight, I was curious to see what the word had to say about the number eight. And here's what I found. The number eight in the Bible signifies resurrection and regeneration. It's the number of a new beginning. Eight is seven plus one. And since it comes just after seven, which itself signifies an end to something. So eight is also associated with the beginning of a new era or that of a new order. In the Bible, one can find many examples which bring forth and which associate the number eight with a new beginning. One such example is Noah. When the whole earth was covered in floods, it was Noah who was the eighth person who stepped out and took the responsibility of starting a new era of life and to commence a new order to things. The resurrection of Christ is also one fine example of this, one writer writes. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate new beginning. It is said in the Bible that Jesus rose on the first day of the next week from the day following the week He was crucified. Thus again, as it was in the beginning, the eighth day, which was chosen by God, marked the new beginning of a new life form. Thus we can see that the number eight in the Bible signifies resurrection and a new beginning. Not only this, there have been eight different resurrections in the Bible. Out of which three can be seen in the Old Testament, three can be seen in the Gospels, and the remaining two can be read in Acts chapters 9 and 40. There were eight miracles of Elijah, as told in the Bible. And we also read that God made eight covenants with Abraham. According to the Bible, one commentator says, eight has a special meaning for God. As he chose the eighth day after creation to mark the beginning of the new week. After seven days, everything was created and he rested. And then the next day, the eighth day marked a new beginning. Everything that has a new beginning in the Bible has the number eight associated with it. Seven years of famine and then a new season began in the eighth year. Seven is also known as God's complete number. We have been amazingly blessed over the last seven years. And we truly have seen God do some amazing things. However, I believe as your pastor, and God has spoken to me that we are completing a season of ministry today. 
that we need to be thankful for. And now it's time. And God is issuing the challenge to look forward to a new beginning. And make a new commitment to what God has in store for our next season of ministry as Freedom Point Church. If you'll stand with me all over the house this morning. Tomorrow is year eight, day one. It's a new beginning. Will you join me in making a new commitment to God and to your church to truly impact our community and our city for the cause of Christ? God really has blessed us, if you hadn't thought about it, with a building that we did not build. Not only that, that building is double the size of the building we plan to build. God has given us a strategic location right in the heart of our city that we did not work for. And He has blessed us beyond measure in this first season of ministry. That church is truly something to celebrate. But tomorrow, it's time to roll our sleeves up. And to get to work in the kingdom like never before. Because family, time is winding down. You can see it happening right before your very eyes. I don't believe we have a whole lot of time left. And in Romans 13 and verse 12, the word said, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Everything about this world, let us cast it off. And let us put on the armor of light. The time is now. Tomorrow is year eight, day one. And I want to ask you, if you will, those of you that will say, as Joshua did, and you will declare, I don't want you to do it if you don't mean it. But if you will join me in declaring as Joshua declared, Lord, when it comes to you and when it comes to my church, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, on year eight, day one, count me in. If you're willing to say that, would you just raise your hands all over this building if that's you? You're willing to say that. You're willing to make that commitment. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray as they sing. And I want you right now to ask God. I want you to renew your commitments to God. I know as I preach this morning, some of you begin to think my mind has gone other places. My focus has been on other things. But God, I want to renew my commitment to what you've called me to do. If you don't know what God's called you to do, ask Him. If you've never made a commitment to the Lord at all, make the commitment to Him this morning and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. If you're not where you need to be, make a new commitment to Him today because tomorrow is year eight, day one, and I believe that God is going to blow our mind what He'll do in and through the ministry of this church if we just commit ourselves to Him. As they sing, pray with me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.